Welcome to this week's message from Southland Church. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Tom Dick. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Tom Dick. If we haven't met, I'm sorry, but uh, I'm the pastor of middle school students here at Southland, and uh, I just got back from well, I, I uh, summer camp. I was up for two weeks at summer camp, then I had a week back uh, to prepare for today, and, but I went to Fun Mountain on Friday with 155 middle school students. <laughs> so I'm super rested. And yesterday was my wife's birthday. It's crazy. So I thought the last time, the last time I preached, I took you to, through about 3,000 years of, of history. And today I'm going to take you through 176 verses of the longest psalm in the Bible. So uh, this should be really interesting, okay? Um, now, before we start, though, we're going to run some experiments today, okay? We're going to run a few experiments. And I want you to humor me, because if you don't, it's going to just completely ruin my mood, okay? And I've been, I literally was giggling in my office this week as I was writing this message. I had so much fun. So I hope that we can giggle a bit today. So what I want you to do is I want you to use your imagination. Now, I know some of you have not used it in a while, so just shake those cobwebs out, okay? Because we're about to use our imaginations, and, uh, and you have to understand I'm a middle school pastor again, and I tell you something, at Fun Mountain, I felt like a middle school pastor again. I almost lost my voice on the bus, it was unreal, and I had literally six kids talking to me at the same time, expecting me to give them my full attention. So I feel like a youth pastor again. So I spend a lot of time in the imagination because middle school students are awesome for that. They're great because they're mature, they can go deep, but they also haven't forgotten what it means to be a kid. So I want you to do something. I want you to imagine, just, okay, why don't you close your eyes, actually? Close your eyes. Here we go. And I want you to imagine a young man a young man, okay? Married women, you might want to mar uh, remember your husband when he was younger. <laughs> that might be a good memory for you. I don't know. And I want you to imagine that he is holding a, a bar of Dove soap. <laughs> young man holding a bar of Dove soap. That's the first picture. Okay, that's the first picture. The next picture, you're going to wipe that young man out of your mind, and you're going to imagine this woman. She's blonde, and her name is Wanda, and she has a Hello, My Name is Wanda sticker on her shirt. Hello, My Name is Wanda. Okay, you can see that? Imagine it. Then you wipe Wanda out of your mind, and you move and you shift your attention, and there is a bunch of treasure chests and one of them is shaped in the shape of a heart. It can be like a physical heart, or it can be just the shape of a heart. Okay, open your eyes. I'm not going to tell you why we did that. It was just fun. <laughs> okay, so first picture, just remember, what was it? Holding. Very good, yeah. Some of you guys were at camp last year when I did this exact experiment. Then we met a woman. Her name was? Very good. And then we looked at a pile of treasure chests, and one was in the shape of a? Very good. We'll come back to that. So Psalm 119 
It's one of my favorite psalms in the entire Bible. It's 176 verses long, and uh, we're not going to go through them all. Don't worry. And the great thing is that it's, it's sectioned in, in little groupings, and we'll talk about why that is in a little bit, but it's, it's in sections, and each of those sections, this, this last week I was reading it through a few times, and I looked, and you know, there's actually four themes in each section. So really, you only have to read the first one, and you got the rest. <laughs> So you don't have to read the whole thing. But um, you can just check it off your checklist. Um, but those four themes are this. The psalmist says, I love your word. Okay? Sometimes he calls it statutes, precepts, laws, decrees. But he says, I love your word, Lord. I love your word. That's the first thing he says. The second thing he says is, help me to understand your word. And there's this sort of second thought. He says, because it guides me. So help me to understand your word. It guides me, sometimes says it teaches me, it instructs me, but that's the main thought that uh, surrounds that second piece. Then the third piece is there's pressure on every side. On every side of me there's pressure. So sometimes the, the pressure is affliction, sometimes it's taunts, sometimes the pressure is even God's pressure, it's God's discipline. Okay? And the, but it's on every side. It's pressing in. That's the third theme. And the fourth thing is that he always declares something about God's character. Always. Every time. He says, God, you're good. God, you're faithful. God, you last forever. God, your word never fails. He's always declaring something about the character of God. And those are the four pieces. So I love your word. Help me understand your word. There's pressure on every side. And then a declaration of God's character. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at two thoughts. We're going to look at two thoughts. The first is going to be that first major theme. So it's going to be, I love your word. And in my scripture, in, in my translation, it says, I delight in your word. I delight in the Scripture. Okay, so we're going to talk about what it means to delight in the Word, and then we're going to talk about how do we hide that Word in our hearts? How do we actually get it there? So those are the two things we're going to talk about this morning. Before we do that, I'd just like to pray, and then we'll uh, move into the meat. Jesus, thank you for this morning. I thank you for the chance to be at home with my family again after a few weeks at camp. Jesus, I pray that uh, you would um, be glorified this morning, that we would learn something that there would be extreme practicality to what we learned today, and Jesus, that it would draw us closer to your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a very practical message, by the way. It really is. Okay, so the first part is this. I will delight in your statutes. I will delight in your statutes. Now, we all know statutes, just in case you're wondering, means laws. It means rules. And we all know that kid who loves rules. This particular trait affects equally both genders. There's boys who love rules and girls who love rules, although it usually has slightly more feminine leadings, in my experience. It's usually found with the eldest child in the family, less often in the voiceless, forgotten, neglected, and passed over middle child. And it is rarely, if ever, found in the youngest child. The youngest child usually does not delight in the laws of the home. All right? Now, when we talk about delighting in God's statutes, that's what the psalmist is writing about, and it only bears just a cursory, just a bare resemblance to what it would look like in your house with your annoying oldest sister or brother. And the truth be told, the kind of kid who delights in the statutes of his home rarely actually delights in rules. 
What he likes, he or she delights in controlling and manipulating the younger siblings. That's the delight. The delight isn't in the rule. And they're rather hypocritical about it. This is my experience as the youngest of four children. Can I get an amen from the youngest of four children? Yes. I know. I know what I'm talking about. Chris is the oldest. It all makes sense. Ray is the youngest. Also makes sense. <laughs> now, um, I like to use the, uh, the, the translation, the HCSB translation of the Bible, because my hero, Ravi Zacharias, uses it. That's pretty much the only reason. It's very close to the um, N- uh, NIV, um, but it uses, uh, you might find that your scripture uses a slightly different word. It might say, I delight in your decrees, or your, and that doesn't matter. We'll talk about that as we go along. But mine says, I delight in your statutes, your statutes. Now, think for a minute. What does it actually mean to delight? We know that it's not what you experience at home, but what does it mean to actually delight in anything? Well, I have some examples of things that bring me tremendous delight, tremendous delight. Okay, so the first one here, I took this at, um, at Bird River on one of the last days here. Now, there are so many things in this picture that delight me. Um, we have a new BMX track on that side. It's stunning. It's got a new uh, ramp. That is such a steep ramp. It doesn't look steep right from here. But there is nobody over the age of 24 who should do that ramp. <laughs> so there, and there are kids crashing nonstop, which gives me a lot of delight. <laughs> and then you have, you can't really see them, but there's children dangling from that rock. They're dangling from the rock. And we have about four or five routes that you can go up the rock. And we have, to my knowledge, the only natural face climbing wall in Manitoba at a Bible camp. Isn't that incredible? It's gorgeous. Isn't that stunning? Don't you want to go there? You know what was the worst part about coming to work this week? Wearing pants. I was like, oh, I feel so constricted. I was wearing shorts all for the last two weeks at the office, right? It's awesome. Okay, so that gives me a lot of delight. A lot of delight. The next thing also happens at camp, and this gives me delight too. And it's going to be in slow motion, so it'll increase our delight exponentially. And you will see, you will hear that whoever was taking these pictures has a maniacal, deep laugh of delight. It wasn't me, I promise, but it would have been me if I had been there. So here we go. We're going to watch some great tubing crashes. Goodbye. Now, this tube is almost impossible to fall off of, but mission accomplished. Okay, these two girls are on, have parents on staff here, so we drive a little harder. That is airborne, and goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Isn't that great? Now, delight, right? Pure delight. And did you see the look of delight on their faces? That's what it means to delight. I got another. You and Else brings me delight. Babies. I cannot get enough of babies. Oh, I love babies. And there are videos on YouTube where babies laugh at dogs. I have some for you. Just listen to this. Now, that's disgusting. The baby is licking the dog, but the funny, it's funny still. 
See? Delight. Doesn't it just stir up delight in you? Now, I told you, I told you we were going to do an ex some experiments this morning. So now that I have you all like hopped up on delight, <laughs> I'm going to show you another video clip. And I want you to feel that delight. Because remember, the psalmist said, I delight in your rules, Lord, in your statutes, O Lord. So here we go. This is another one, seen from a famous movie. Oh, intense, isn't it? Carlton Heston knows how to throw a mean Ten Commandments. I liked how the golden calf exploded. Right after this, there's an earthquake, and I had to cut it out because it was so disturbing. I didn't want to raise the PG rating of this message. But you don't, I mean, this is a funny video clip because it's, Carlton Heston in 1956 or something like that. That's hilarious because Moses is so dramatic in there where he pushes aside Joshua on the mountain. It's just so good. But we don't delight in this. When he holds the Ten Commandments above his head and the people realize what they've been caught doing, there's this ripple of terror and fear throughout the group. It's kind of like as a parent when you walk into that playroom and all the kids look at you like this. And you can see this ripple of fear go through their eyes, right? Because there's about to be an implementation of the law. And we don't delight in it. So when the psalmist says, I delight in the law, what does he mean? How can he mean that he laughs joyfully at the thought of God's laws? What can it mean that he thinks it's, you know, as good as like, being at a, on a summer day at camp, how can the law be like that if that's what it means to delight in it? And that is what it means to delight in it, and that is what the psalmist means. That's actually what he means. I'm going to show you what it means to delight in the law. The first thing is this. The psalmist understands that when you delight in the law, it means that you find blamelessness. What he's actually delighting in is the laws of blamelessness. You know, there's a part of us that likes to disobey rules, right? We like to. There's a part of us that likes to push people to the edge. We like to see how far we can get that, that parent to go to before they crack. I remember when I was in grade 9, uh, we were an awful grade absolutely awful in grade 10. We made the national news. We were awful, awful, awful. That's when Bernie Hebert was our principal, and you can ask him how, how that year went. And uh, it was terrible. And um, we, we held the record for five substitutes in four days. And one of them was the principal, because they ran out of substitutes who would come into our class. You see, we like to push the rules. Now, all the students are like, yeah, that makes sense. But parents do, too. You don't go 100. You go 105. Because you know no one's going to pull you over going 105, right? 
But you just, we actually like to just push past a little bit. But you know what? Um, I've been in court with people before, never for myself, um, but I've sat with people in court before who are sitting before a judge. And let me tell you, as they sit there and they're thinking of all the things that they're about to be called in account for, I feel pretty happy to be blameless in that courtroom. Very happy. It's a good feeling to know that I'm not going to have to sit in that box. And if you've ever been in court, I think you know what I mean. But the God's laws, they bring blamelessness to our lives. And that's a delight. That's a total delight. The next thing is, we get wisdom from God's laws. It says, though princes sit together speaking against me, your servant will think about your statutes. Your decrees are my delight and my counselors. So his laws, they counsel us so that even when we're hauled before authorities, we'll have wisdom to know how to respond to those authorities. And if we've been walking blamelessly in God's sight by following and delighting in his laws, we've got nothing to fear when we get called before the authorities. We've got nothing to fear. That's a good thing. Furthermore, we can delight in the fact that when we are uh, in grief, his word comforts us. I'm weary from grief. Strengthen me through your word. So his word is his law. And it actually strengthens us in our grief. That's an incredible thing. I've lived that this year. You talk to people who've been in the hospital with sickness and, or who've lost children or who are just having a real difficult time in their family, and you talk to them about those verses that are meaningful to them, I tell you, Isaiah 58, the whole thing, it just like, it grips me when I read it. It gives me a lot of peace. That's good. It, the psalmist goes on. He also says that it helps you to keep from double-mindedness. James says that double, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So when we re reflect on God's law, we are not double-minded. And that's an amazing thing. Then it says in uh, Psalm 119, verse uh, 104, I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every false way. I hate being duped. I hate being lied to. I hate that feeling of being played you know, whether it's political or whatever. And when I read God's Word, I can delight in the fact that that backdrop is going to show me whether I'm listening to a falsehood, a false teaching, or the truth. And that's an incredible thing. That's something we can delight in. God's Word, it says, even illuminates a path through life. It illuminates a path through life. That is so powerful that Amy Grant in 1984 wrote a song about it. Right? Remember that? I didn't know that Ray and Mary were doing a special this morning, but in my heart I was like, oh, please let it be thy word. And it wasn't. <laughs> she wrote that in 1984. Do you know she is 55 years old? Amy Grant. It seems like just yesterday I was humming along to giggle. Only a few of you know that song, and for good reason. Not one of her classics. Um, but she wrote here with Michael W. Smith, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. One of the most popular songs that she ever wrote it was inspired from Psalm 119. Then finally, God's word brings and illuminates all of life. It helps us to understand the actual way that we should see the world. It gives light and gives understanding to the inexperienced. It actually... It actually, gives you, um, it actually gives you maturity. Just reading God's Word gives you maturity. 
It gives understanding to the inexperienced. Well, that's incredible. Now, whether you're a young person or a new Christian or an old Christian, I never want to stop learning. That means that I need to spend time in God's Word because of the revelation of His words, they bring light and give understanding. That's an incredible thing. Now, think about that. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's devoted to extolling the remarkable quality of God's Word. It's like the writer foresaw something that would be happening in our culture. He understood, possibly, that the Bible, which is called the best-selling book of all times, actually it's the most stolen book of all times as well, the most popular book of all times, would be at this, in, this gen- or in this age, and yet one year ago, almost to the day, Christianity Today published an article called The Epidemic of Biblical Illiteracy in Our Churches. The Epidemic of Biblical Illiteracy in Our Churches. The article described a Lifeway research study which found that only 45% of those who regularly attend church, regularly attend church, only 45% of them actually read their Bible more than once per week. And over 40% read their Bible only occasionally, which is one to two times per month. And 20% of all churchgoers never read their Bibles. Never. And yet the longest chapter in the Bible over and over and over again says, this will help you. Look at this list. Joy of blamelessness, confidence before authorities, comfort in grief, proper perspective, guidance and growth and maturity. And that's six out of 22 at least reasons that we should be delighting in God's law. And yet we don't do it. Now, I can honestly tell you, and I mean this with all sincerity, that I love my Bible. My Bible is the most direct revelation that I have from Christ Jesus. If I'm praying and cannot hear His voice, I open the Scriptures and I hear it on every page. When I'm afraid, His words comfort me. When I'm alone, His words abide in me. When I'm overwhelmed, His words, they literally still the waves in me. And when I'm tempted, his words conform my will to his. It's incredible. God's word is instructive. It's transformative. It's constructive. And it destroys the works of the enemy. His word tells me my future. It redeems my past. And it saturates my presence with purpose. What is not to love about God's word? But then why don't we read it? Why don't we read it? Is it maybe boring? Do we misunderstand what's going on? Do we have false expectations of what we should expect when we read his word? Or are we just lazy? Or maybe a little of the above, all of the above. I want to address just one reason very quickly before I move on. Uh, because I want you to actually feel hope, um, especially because some of you fear that you don't delight in God's word the way you should. So I'm just going to address one reason that we don't delight in God's Word as we should. And that reason is this. Very often, we just feel dry. It's just period. We just feel dry. There's just not this excitement and this spark in us. And we think that because we don't have that, we're not delighting in God's Word. And did you know that's not the truth? That's not the truth at all. You know that there will be dry times in your life. There is nothing you can do about it. Spiritually dry when you feel like you're in a spiritual desert. There is nothing you can do about it. And for some people, it lasts for a long time. Moses, it lasted 40 years. 40 years, he was in a spiritual wasteland, not knowing what his purpose, his true purpose was. 
He was shepherding sheep, preparing to shepherd people. That's an incredible thing. You will, you know, it's amazing. That same child that you delight in during the day, when they wake you up at night, it's less than delight that you feel, isn't it? How can that be that that very same child that, you know, you help bring into the world, it gives you so much incredible joy and fills you with a sense of mystery. At night, you're just like, oh my gosh, that kid is crying again. And it fills you with dread. And you're like, God, please, just let, you actually pray and God does not answer those prayers. <laughs> See, the, the thing is this. Character, Oswald Chambers said this, he said, character is who you are in the dark. Character is not who you are in the light when things are going well. Character is who you are in the dark. So when things go well, what we need to understand, if you are, like, you're at camp, you're riding a high right now, you're a teacher and you are off of school for a little while, things are going to work in your marriage, your kids are doing well, you know, retirement is going well, all these things, you are in a time of light and life and water, and you had better be drinking up God's Word, storing it up right now. Store it up when it's not very difficult, because you have to know that eventually, eventually, we're going to get to a valley where it's more difficult again. And you will need what you delighted in in the light to delight in the dark. You will. But this is the great thing. What it's important to remember is that whether we're in the light or the dark, a dry time or a time of easy, enjoyable devotions, we have a part to do, but God also does His part. When we engage our will, God's re God responds to our heart every time. Um, the psalmist knew this. Look at, look at how the psalmist talks to you. This is kind of small, but I wanted to put the whole list up there. He, he understands that he has a part to do and that God has a part to do. Listen to this. He says, help me, strengthen me, keep me. I'm choosing a way of truth. I'm choosing it. There's like an intentional act of the will here. I cling to your decrees. Help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. <laughs> Isn't that great? He knows that if he's going to actually delight in God's word, he's going to need to scream out and cry, help me, help me. And the great thing is God always responds. This is the wonderful verse in, in Philippians 2 verse 13. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you to both desire to work out his good, to both desire and to work out his good purpose. God enables us to even desire it. And you know what? Uh, I, I was on fire last year in my devotions. Starting in August, like, I love, I really do love devotions, and I really miss them when I don't have them. Um, and I was on fire. And I was uh, memorizing a whole bunch of scripture, and things were going really well. And we had, uh, but we had these three boys that we were raising that, it was our dream that they would be our boys forever. They were foster parents. And they went home just before Christmas, and it hit us. It was very, very hard. But even through that, I was going, I was doing really well. And then we were asked to foster a little baby, two days old from the hospital. And you know, I, I, we have a young married cell, or it used to be a young married cell. Now it's a young married cell. We're having a lot of kids cell. And they're, they're having kids all the time. And they come to me because I'm their cell leader, and they say, Tom, like, I feel really bad, but ever since our baby arrived, my devotions haven't been great. And I go, well, yeah. <laughs> it's because you're being woken up at 
horrible hours, you know, hours when God has clearly gone to sleep. You know, and so of course you're tired, of course your devotions are going to look, I always help them out, right? I'm such a good, I'm such a good cell leader. I give them, I give them hope. And then we had this little baby. And I'm like, oh, my devotions are awful. I'm so tired all the time, I can't get up as early as I want to get up. And I went through this season where I was struggling in my devotions. And it's really, really hard. And there are seasons of our life like that. There are seasons. And you know what the thing about seasons is? Seasons change. And it's amazing, but when you're in those moments, when you're being woken up in the middle of the night and you're tired and the, and the very object of delight during the day is giving you dread at night, when you engage your will and say, help me, God, give me desire, guess what he does? He says, okay, I'll help you. And so now instead of spending an hour in prayer at 6 o'clock in the morning, you're going to spend an hour of prayer throughout your day in smaller chunks, but you're still going to be praying. And those verses that you've been working to learn, they're going to flood back and they're going to become food for your soul. It's great. This is very, very important. See, if you haven't developed the endurance to carry you through seasons of dryness, then you need to take hope that seasons are just that. They're seasons. And they'll change. And there are going to be times, maybe today, when you just say, okay, I'm making up my mind. I'm going to get back on track with my devotions. It's okay. You're going to get back on track. You're going to start to do what you know you should do, and you're going to move on. You, but the, the other thing is you can prepare for seasons. I'm so grateful for an incredible, you know, from August till December. No, actually, all the way till February, till baby Kyle came. I mean, it was just, it was great. And I'm so grateful that God used that time of plenty to prepare me for a time of need. So I just want to give you hope this morning, because I was thinking about it. There's going to be people here who are going to feel down, and they're going to say, I don't delight in God's Word because it's hard right now. Actually, when you engage your will, you're delighting in God's word. In the same breath, the psalmist says, help me. He's saying, I delight in your statutes. I love that. So there's hope. But how do we prepare for times of dryness? That's what I want to talk about. Because the psalmist has some ideas for us. He says, I've treasured your word in my heart. I've treasured your word in my heart. The full verse says this, and you know it. I've treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. So that I may not sin against you. Most of us are familiar with the NIV version. It swaps out treasured for hidden. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The ESV uses the word stored. And I kind of like all of those. I I personally like treasured the best because I like treasures. I like treasure hunts. I like discovering little, you know, nuggets of gold. I like that kind of stuff. So I like this word that I'm treasuring. I'm, I'm putting God's word in my heart like that. But hidden is good, but, and stored is particularly good. You know, it's, it's kind of like you've got that, that old-fashioned root cellar, and it's cool in there, and, and you're putting all the, all the vegetables in there and the preserves in there because you're storing them in there for a time when it's not, the garden's not going to be growing. That's a good image for us. We can store God's word in our heart like a root cellar stores preserves. But, so I'm going to talk to you about how we can store God's word, but there's, you see, regardless of how we're engaging with God's word, there's a beautiful consequence of engaging with God's word. Without us even choosing it, we actually store God's word in our heart. Did you know that? But we can choose it as well. But that's really amazing. 
So there are different ways that we can store up God's Word in our heart. For, and not all of them are created equal, I should say that. Not all ways of storing God's Word are as good as others. For example, right now, you are actually storing up God's Word in your heart. You're hearing it read, you're seeing it on the screens, you're thinking about the verses that you memorized when you were in Bible camp. You're thinking of all these things. And, uh, but, but the words that I'm speaking to you, that's like secondhand. It's like thrift store storing up words. That's what it's like. And you know that it's not as good. That, you see, the, the, the vegetables are never as fresh in the market as they are from your own garden, right? And so it's very important that when we talk about storing up words, that we get into it for ourselves, that we don't rely on what we've been fed at church, that we don't rely on what we've been fed at cell, that we don't rely on what we've been fed at camp, but that we get into it for ourselves. The psalmist says, help me. I have my lips praise you. He's talking in the first person. He's saying, I'm so grateful that you helped my pastor and that he inspired me. No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, help me. So it has to become personal. In our culture, we tend to live off the experiences of others. That's what we tend to do. We love watching these YouTube videos of people doing these crazy things, bungee jumping, well, I do, and zip lining and all this stuff. I actually want to do it, but I know a lot of people just love watching it because they don't want to do it. And they just live off that experience, right? But that's not going to work when it's God's Word. So, we have to do the work of hiding it for ourselves, prepare ourselves for the times when it might be a little bit drier. But I want to give you one word of warning, and this is a very, very serious word of warning. This, I've seen many people derailed by this. Don't ever assume that the way that somebody else hides God's word in their heart is the way that you should necessarily do it. That you can learn great principles, great principles. You can say, oh, I've never tried that, and then you tried for yourself. But there are, um, I'm going to talk about memorizing scripture in a minute. Chris Puhatch has memorized scads and scads and scads and scads, nauseatingly high amounts of Scripture. And, and he walks around rehearsing it. You see him talking to himself. That's what he's doing usually. And uh, I, for a long time, I just didn't like memorizing Scripture, but I loved studying the Word. So I just want to warn you that it's important that you learn, if you pray better when you're walking in the woods, then go for walks in the woods. I pray very well sitting down on a lazy boy with an afghan, not in the woods. <laughs> but other people do. So it's very important. I just want to give that word of warning that just because I'm going to share some ways that I get into God's word, make sure you take the general principle and you find out what God is actually having for you. So what are the four ways that I have to, that this psalm teaches us to hide God's word? First thing is we need to read it. We need to meditate on it. We need to memorize it. And then we need to study it. Now, we're going to begin with reading it. You would think, okay, this kind of goes without saying, right? This is getting a little bit elementary. Well, yes. And yet, Lifeway does a research poll and finds out that 45% of churchgoers are not reading their Bibles, so I think it is worth saying. If you're not reading your Bible, you're not storing it in your heart. Just let that sink in. If you're not reading your Bible, you're not storing it in your heart. Uh, it's interesting, George Barna, he's another researcher, he did a research poll, and he showed exactly the same dismal percentage of Christians that actually read their Bibles. But he says that most Americans, what they found is that whether they were Christian or not, they still see the Bible as a sacred book. They still see it as important. 
Why do you say you see something as in sacred and important and never spend any time with it? It just makes absolutely no sense to me. It actually makes no sense to me. But that's what people say. So what are some practical considerations for how to read your Bible? I'm going to give you something practical. The first thing I want to tell you is this. If you are a young Christian, now that could mean that you're either young in age or you are just a new Christian, a baby Christian. Nothing wrong with that. Bibles are very tricky things to figure out when you're a brand new Christian. It's overwhelming. Where do you start, right? And um, I remember I had a friend here who had been here for a number of years, and then one day he came to me and he said, Tom, can you just help me to learn how to tithe? And he said, because, like, I didn't grow up in a family that did that. I actually have no idea how to do that. He says, like, do you have to use an envelope? I said, well, yeah, like, I can show you how to tithe. We take for granted that people understand how to tithe or how to how to get into this word, and, and we don't always. So if you're a baby Christian, this is what you need to do. You need to find somebody who can show you how to use the table of contents and how to understand the chapters and the verses. You know, Bible, it's not one book. It's 66 different books. Bible means library. It's a library of 66 books, and they're roughly in chronological order, but they're not all. First Kings and Second and First Chronicles are separated by at least 800 years, and they're written for very different purposes. So that makes a difference in how we read them. And it can be confusing when you're a young Christian to figure that out. The other thing you can do, I thought of that this week. You know what you can do if you're a new Christian? Serve in kids' land. And do you know why? Because in kids' land, they just devour Bible stories. I've actually had uh, young Christians come to me and say, I'm so grateful that I'm serving in middle school because I'm learning Bible at an at a easier level than I, than I had thought of before, than I get in big church. That's really good. So serve in kids' land. You'll get a whole raft of Scripture stories. You'll understand it in awesome ways. And you'll see Brock and Manick be ridiculous, which is just bonus. Then I would suggest that you start in the Gospels, in the New Testament. If you haven't read your Bible or you're trying to get back into it, read about Jesus. Read his life story. I like this story. Uh, I like reading in Mark. Mark is a great place to start if you need to read. But start in the New Testament. And then if you are into epic battles, then go straight to Kings. Well, Judges first, because Ehud is in Judges, and Ehud is my favorite. So he killed King Eglong, right? Ah, so good. And then he escaped out the king's latrine. Only the, new, only the King James Version says that, but that's the, in that particular case, that is the inspired version. Because <laughs> any story that has a, a hero escaping out a king's latrine, that's a toilet, is a cool story. <laughs> that is a great story, okay? So if you need epic battles, then you go to Judges after the Gospels. But don't start in Leviticus. My poor son, Seth, he's uh, just turned nine. This year he came to me. We were waiting in the bus, or waiting for the bus at the end of the road, and he said, Daddy, so, like, is this a skin disease? <laughs> I said, are you reading Leviticus? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Once you've read the Gospels, I'd encourage you eventually to read the entire Bible. You need to eventually read the entire Bible. You need to get through it, front to back or piecemeal, it doesn't matter. I, uh, you can get great reading plans at our Southland website or at uversion.com or at bibleplans.com uh, or something like that. Lots of different ways to help you get through the Bible in a year or two years or three years. It doesn't matter. Just read through the entire Bible because otherwise you don't understand the scope 
of Scripture and what God is doing. And when you do it piecemeal, you always miss things. It's very practical, but you need to do that. Um, then I always have these people who go, yeah, but you don't understand, I'm a trucker, or I'm, I'm a farmer, and I don't, you know, like, I have long periods of time, but I can't read. Well, actually, you can now if you're a farmer, because they have auto steer. You can practically do nothing. You could walk beside the tractor. It's not even farming, in my opinion, but... There's this thing called farmer's pride. Okay, I'm just going to tell you two pieces of farmer's pride. The first piece of farmer's pride, I was a farm boy. The first piece of farmer's pride is you have to be the last person to turn on your combine lights at night. So when you're combining, you look at all your neighbors and you're laughing at the fools who can't see their swath. You're like, ah, I'm going to turn mine on. And you play this little game with all your neighbors. They don't know you're playing it, but that's okay. That's farmer's pride number one. The second is you need to know how to drive in a straight line. Okay? You can't really call yourself a farmer if you're bowing your lines like this. That looks ridiculous. My sister did that. It would, after I would, if I would cultivate after my sister, I would have to spend three hours just straightening her rows. Ridiculous. Okay, that was a little aside. Um, if you're a farmer or a trucker or you find reading difficult, get yourself an audio Bible. Get yourself an audio Bible. They have Bible on tape. It's great. Faithcomesfromhearing.com. You can listen to any Bible you want. You will get the word in your heart just the same. The next thing is we need to learn to meditate. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. Meditating is just thinking deeply. Okay? That's what it is. Meditate. Now, there's this Eastern mysticism that talks about meditating. Totally different. Don't get confused. When you meditate in Eastern mysticism, mysticism in Buddhism, Jainism, Hinduism, in these, place, in these things, what you're doing is you're emptying your mind. You're getting rid of all your thoughts so that you, uh, so that you can... And the, the, the belief is that once you empty yourself of all these thoughts and cravings and desires and all that, then you will finally be at peace with yourself. That's not what Jesus said at all. He said, I've come to give you life and give it to the full. And the psalmist said, I will meditate on your precepts. And he says, I will think about your ways. So it's an active thing that we're doing. It's active. But you see, if you're just reading scads and scads and scads of Scripture, then you're not, and you don't ever pause. That's a good place to start, but then eventually you need to pause, and you need to slow down, and you need to actually start and think about it. It says in Joshua 1 verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you be careful to do uh, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will be able to make your way prosperous. Then you will be able to, then you will have good success. Wow, that's small. You will have good success. So what does it look like to meditate for a Christian? It means that you actually slow down. You just slow down and you say, instead of reading four chapters today, I'm going to read like three verses. I'm just going to read them over and over. I'm going to turn them into a prayer. I'm going to maybe... I would like to paint them. I like painting verses and getting inspired. And, and then as I'm drawing, I'm thinking about what it means, you know. Or you, you get that, you're thinking about that word or that verse, and then you go for a walk, and you just, you just let it saturate you, and you think about it. That's a great thing. But you need to get rid of distractions. This is practical. We are, like, very connected, very connected. And when you're meditating on God's Word, it's fine to use a device to read God's Word. That's no problem. But you've got to turn it on airplane mode so those emails aren't coming in because you, can't, you cannot concentrate on God's Word when things are dinging beside you. It's impossible. 
So you need to get rid of distractions. You need to learn to journal. Journaling's a great way to meditate. And then you need to learn to wait. You can't rush through it. You need to just enjoy it. Next thing is this. We need to memorize God's Word. Now, I've been waiting for this point because I've actually fallen in love with uh, memorization this year. I have fallen in love with memorization. I think I, I reflected on this, and I think I know why. I have found a system that works for me to memorize Scripture, and that's half the battle. Figuring out a way to memorize Scripture is half the battle. I have truly enjoyed being able to recall prayer, uh, Scripture in my prayer times. When you memorize Scripture, you can't not say it. It comes back all the time. It's amazing. I just love it. And the third reason I have loved memorizing Scripture is when I tell people that I memorize Scripture, they get this look of sickness on their face, and they're like, oh. And that gives me a deep carnal satisfaction <laughs> that motivates me to memorize more Scripture. And now that I'm beating Donovan and Facebook friends, I need a new uh, challenge. So I've been memorizing scads of, of uh, Scripture. Now, you don't need to memorize Scripture to be a good Christian. You don't. But it's really good to memorize Scripture. You know, we're not being thrown into jail here in Canada and having our Bibles confiscated, but you look up, look up videos. Every now and again, one makes it through, a good one on Facebook, and it, it's these, you know, Christians in, in closed countries receiving the God's Word possibly for the first time, and their tears running down their face. And they've been working off, you know, half a Gospel of John that somebody memorized at some point. It, it's just, re it's really incredible. It, it hasn't always been the case. Um, the, the reason that, uh, for example, in, uh, in Joshua 1 verse 8, this is the same verse, but it's in the better translation of the HCSB. Um, it says this, this book of instruction should not depart from your mouth. You are to recite it day and night. There's, see, the reason that God often tells people to recite or memorize the, the law is because they were illiterate. In fact, this is, this is Moses telling Joshua to recite it. I think that's how it goes. I don't think he's died yet, or maybe he's died already. He's supposed to recite it day and night so that he may be careful to observe everything written in it. Very, very important. Um, in, uh, in Exodus 17, after they defeat the Amalekites, where um, um, Moses is standing with his arms reached out, you know, um, and they defeat them, then, then he goes to the scribe, or no, God tells Moses, make sure you write everything down and recite it to Joshua. The reason is Joshua couldn't read. He was a Hebrew slave. Moses had been raised in the palace in the Pharaoh, with the Pharaoh. So he had been taught to read. He was a perfect person to write down the first five books of the Bible because he could read and write. But these Hebrew slaves that he had rescued from Egypt, they couldn't do that. That's why very often it says, write it down and recite it to your people. There's one place where it says that you're going to, because somebody's going to call me on this. There's one place where it says that, that Joshua read the entire law to the people, which, by the way, is a lot more than 176 verses. Uh, so you can be grateful for that. But he read the entire law to the people of Israel at one point. The reason I think it said read there is it actually should mean speak. He just spoke it out. He had it memorized. That's what I believe. He just had it memorized because you could translate it the same way. So, they had to memorize it. But it is still important for us to memorize Scripture. It's very important for different reasons. You know, there may come a time when we don't have our Bibles anymore. Two years ago, I don't know if I would have thought that, uh, that Russia would be outlawing Bibles again. But they are. They're outlawing Bibles right now in Russia. You go, hmm. 
It may not be forever that we can hold our Bibles the same way. And then, see, the first thing I do when I get thrown in prison is I'm going to take toilet paper and I'm going to write James out. That's what I'm going to do because I know James now. I memorized it last year. I'm going to write it all out so that I can share it with all the prisoners beside me. All the, and you're going to be very glad that I memorized James. And I hand you my little piece of toilet paper and we pass it down the line. And the guards will be none the wiser. They'll be none the wiser because you'll just be saying, never mind. Can I use some toilet paper? And I'll be like, yeah, sure. They won't know what we're doing. Anyways. By the way, I have learned, I used to think, as I was memorizing James, I'm like feeling so good about myself, right? James, 107 or 8 verses or something like that. So, I'm so good. I'm a spiritual person. And then I find these people. Oh, yeah, I memorized James. Oh, I memorized James. What? So many people have memorized James. I don't even want to take a poll because it just hurts my self-esteem. So, but lots of people have memorized whole books of the Bible. Okay, so, now, you might think, but Tom, I don't know how to memorize Scripture. Wrong! You are wrong. You do actually know how to memorize Scripture. And I have discovered a way of memorizing Scripture that I can teach even you. And in fact, we did it at the beginning. So, this is the first question. What was the first picture I told you to picture? And what do we know about dove soap? It's very pure. So how can a young man keep his way pure? By following your word. By obeying your word. That's Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? Dove soap. By obeying your word. Then we were to meet a woman named Wanda. And uh, I have, oh shoot, now I'm forgetting. Boy, that was dumb, <laughs> not writing it down. I have loved your words. Don't, I, I delight in your statutes. Don't let, me, don't let me wander from your word. See what I did there? Wanda. Don't let me wander from your truth. Okay? And then the last thing I told you to memorize? Treasure chest in the shape of a? I have treasured your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Psalm 119, verse 11. I've treasured your word in my heart. See, you just memorize scripture. You know what the problem is? You've only ever been told to memorize scripture a certain way, and that's by looking and staring at scripture. And if you would actually learn to use your imagination, which you actually still have, you would be able to memorize whole scads of scripture. I memorized 108 verses of James doing exactly that, picturing ridiculous things, and now I can remember. See, you can actually do it, so you have no excuses anymore. And uh, I can give you all sorts of resources to do that. But the first thing I would have you do th is this. When you start to memorize Scripture, just some practical advice here. First thing is start with what you know. You know what I discovered? When you write down all the verses you kind of sort of know, you have a lot of verses that you kind of sort of know. I memorized all of Psalm 23 when I was in elementary school. Guess what I can do? Say all of Psalm 23. It's why we should teach our kids to memorize Scripture, too, because they remember easier than we do. But I can still remember it. John 3.16, I promise you, you have one verse already memorized. Even if you're not a Christian, if you watch baseball, you have that one memorized. There's always somebody with a John 3.16 sign, right? So you have verses. They reside in your heart. You just don't know them, and you maybe don't know what the reference is. That's okay, because the second is don't worry about getting it perfect, and don't leave the references at first. We get so bogged down, but what if I forget the numbers? I can teach you how to remember numbers, but don't worry about it. Just memorize the truth of what it says. Those numbers weren't there in the first place anyways. 
And I, for a long time, I really got bogged down in James because I was nervous that I wasn't learning it word for word. And then I just realized, actually, I know it really well. I just get the ands and the buts and the nows mixed up. And that's really not important. And then the last thing is use your imagination. It is so much fun to memorize Scripture. I'll tell you something, I have fallen in love with memorizing Scripture. And if all of us would just take one different book of the Bible and memorize it, now I'm done, James, so you've got to pick something else, <laughs> then when we get thrown in prison, we're good. We'll just all take turns passing toilet paper. It'll be great. So if you all could help me in this, that'd be really good. So, and we can't all be beside Chris Pewatch, so we have to own this for ourselves. And then the last thing is this. Study the Bible. I left this for last, even though it's one of my favorites. I love studying the Bible, but you guys, studying the Bible is not nearly as important as reading it, meditating on it, and, and, uh, and then um, memorizing it. So I'm just going to zip through that one. I know. Then, the last thing I want to say is this. When you start to delight in God's Word, something will, wonderful will happen. Several wonderful things will happen. The first thing is this, you'll gain perspective. It says, it was good for me, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I could learn your statutes. Instruction from your lips for me is better than thousands of, uh, than thousands of gold and silver pieces. You gain perspective, you understand what's right. You know what else happens? This is fascinating. You experience grief for those who haven't discovered what you have. You actually do. It says, my eyes pour out streams of tears because people do not follow your instructions. Amen. Oh man, that's, that's my life right now when I see people out changing God's word to mean something that it does. And then you actually start to experience some jealous anger. It says, rage seizes me because the wicked, because of the wicked who reject your instruction. And that's a good thing. So once you start gaining perspective and experiencing grief and experiencing anger of those who twist God's word, you'll know that it's starting to get deep in your heart. And that is a great thing. I'm going to close today with a prayer. And it's the Psalm 119, verse 169 to 175. And I'm just going to pray it for us. I've changed all the my and ours, or my and me, to ours and us. So let's pray this together as we close. God, let our cry reach out to you. Give us understanding according to your word. Let our plea reach you, rescue us according to your promise. Our lips pour out praise for you teach us your statutes. Our tongue sings about your promise for all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help us, Lord, for we have chosen your precepts. We long for your salvation, Lord, and your instruction is our delight. Let us live and we will praise you. May your judgments help us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.